All right, we've got a lot to do, and I was trying to get started seven minutes ago. We're going to run seven minutes over. You ready? Here we go. Where we've been. Very good. This is what we're going to cover today. We're going to cover where we've been, we're going to cover where we are today, and we're going to cover where we're going in the future. So, again, my apologies for the pictures, but here we go. We're going to start with some stories. Up, oh, back one. Yep, there's Dee Dee and Mike. All right, so... <clears throat> Concerning our three core values, community, spirituality, and influence, kind of a state of the union, this is how it's been. I'm going to tell you by three symbolic reports. First, in 2008, we did a series of attacking anxiety groups, and they quietly kind of formed under the radar, and it happened this way. Didi had grappled with um, anxiety in her life for a long amount of time, which led to lost peace and a driving sense of interior anxiety. And in her spiritual quest, she ran across a curriculum that helped her at a very practical level find peace in her soul. So in 2007, she and I discussed this epidemic of anxiety that goes on in our society. And so she started taking some of her friends through this curriculum, and they also found life and redemption and peace and all the things that come of freedom into our souls. And so this evolved into several small groups that began to work on their souls together. And I took a group of men through the curriculum, and just yesterday I talked to Mike, Mike right there, one of the guys in the group, and uh, <coughs> he was telling me that since he was part of the group, there's been uh, a shift in his ability to connect in spiritual friendships. He said, you know, I never really talked to people about my soul, but he says now it's become much more comfortable. Further, there's been a marked decline in my own anxiety level, and that affects how I do work, and it affects how I am in with my family. It just really affects my whole soul and life. And so what Mike experienced, many people have experienced this year, some through the attacking anxiety groups, but just in general, there's been a tremendous sense of of awakening, and as we open the doors of our souls, there blows through the fresh wind of the Spirit of God. So spirituality and community have been alive and well at NRCC this year. (laughs) I asked the Spiritual Friends team if they would email me some of the things that they have seen this year, and here's a quick reply that came from Don. Doug, when you asked what I had seen this year, I immediately thought of Sarah Stoffer and how much growth I've seen in her. I see her consistently and tenaciously reach for God and respond to his nudges and challenges in her life. I'm so proud of her and have enjoyed watching her this year and listening to all that God is doing in her life as she responds to the challenges life brings her way. Spirituality and community have been alive and well at NRCC this year. Josh and Quay. Another of the spiritual friends, when I sent that email out, responded back and said, uh, Josh and Quay came to their mind, and so I called them and I asked for permission to report to them. This is a particularly bad picture of Quay. She is much more attractive than that. <laughs> so just, just know that when I'm praying for you, that's what I'm seeing. So we might, we might want to take another picture. <laughs> And what she said is, she said, this year our souls have grown dramatically. She said, before coming to NRCC, she said, 
it had been very difficult for Josh to find a place where uh, a spiritual community that spoke a language that helped him in his pursuit of God. He said being scientific as he was, his worldview, his framework just didn't really connect, and so there was this fog of religiousness that kept him from seeing the divine, whereas when he came to NRCC, the way that we pursue God together was very helpful for him, and Quay said that it had become her delight that Josh had become a spiritual partner with her, uh, a spiritual equal with her. Her, both of them on a spiritual quest. And she said, you know, even little Bliss, um, having been influenced by Teresa and having been influenced by Aaliyah, had become even a spiritual partner in the family coming in and saying, hey, you know, I think we ought to pray about that issue. And that spiritual partnership with Josh, that spiritual partnership within the family, that spiritual partnership with our community had came at a critically important time as Quay began to face health issues. And she said, the, the community has given me a real perspective, not just on physical health, but upon soul health. She said, I had this old paradigm in my mind, which is I can trust myself and I can make this happen. I can do this thing. And then when my health kept me from being able to do those things, there was a new perspective that came to me about spirituality in general being able to trust the divine, trust the community. And she said, and then, so having this new framework of spirituality on which to function, and then added to that the community surrounding us and mowing our lawns and feeding us and talking with us and praying for us and caring for our kids through this struggle. Spirituality and community have been alive and well at NRCC this year. Finally, our teenagers. I was talking to Amundsen. I was talking to Amundsen, and he said, you know, I watched this summer our kids come back from camp. And he said it was very evident to see, you could see it very clearly, that spiritual community was a natural part of the way that they had their experience of one another. They were authentically connected. They were, even though they were very different from one another, he said, there was still a place of connection. So I got on the phone with Aaliyah, and I asked her to remind me what had happened at camp that year. And she said, I was so proud of them this summer. And she said, while they were there, <clears throat> there is within this teenage reality, this, this need to follow the crowd. And she said, to a person, our kids did not follow the crowd. They didn't need to do the popular thing. But at the same time, they were very free to be able to pursue God and to pursue a sense of connectedness one with another. And they consistently gave what they had to the others who were there at the camp. In fact, she said, they stood out in the crowd from other children in that they were able to make true connections with people. They reached out, they befriended other kids, and they were especially able to draw in the odd kids from other churches and make them feel included, even the difficult ones. They were, she said, spiritually responsive, skilled in community forming. They were able to listen for the inner voice, and they were willing to obey the promptings and the nudges of God. So, and spirituality and community have been alive and well at NRCC this year. Now, that last report about our teenagers is particularly gratifying because in the history of NRCC, as we have sought the nudges of God, we have consistently had this sense from the Lord that we are to give special attention to our children and to our teenagers. And so it's gratifying that we have been able to listen carefully and obey tenaciously, and it is working for our children. And it is gratifying that they themselves are being able to walk in a way that is listen carefully and obey tenaciously, following the inner voice, being a spiritual community together. Now, you heard last week that the planning team has asked Aaliyah to go to part-time. 
And she and Robin and I are spending the next three months prayerfully seeking how it is that we're going to move forward because it is not an option for us to not give the best that we have to our children and to our teens. We have to figure out how we're going to do that effectively and fruitfully because it's at the very core of how we have defined our experience of this whisper of God, listen carefully and obey tenaciously. All that to say, spiritual, spirituality and community have been alive and well at NRCC this year, and spirituality and community will be, again, our focus next year as well. Now I want to give you some history <clears throat> as to where we've been that are going to give you some context for understanding this last year, some history surrounding a divine assignment that has been given us. I came from California to start a spiritual community about 12 years ago, and when I came, I did not know what to do. I only knew what not to do. I had been in church all of my life. I had been in ministry for 15 years. I had been an associate pastor for eight years. I had been in many denominations. I had been part of many traditions, and I had traveled the world, and I had seen international expressions of the church all over the globe. And I came to NRCC with a strong conviction that the way the American church functions isn't working. And so consequently, I couldn't build the church from which I came. I couldn't follow the path of, uh, with which I was familiar because that wasn't working. So I knew what not to do, but I did not know what to do. So I began to lead a handful of people who gathered at first in a simple strategy of spiritual living. Listen carefully, obey tenaciously. Ignore what other churches are doing. Ignore what the church that you came from did. Ignore what churches are supposed to do. Ignore what churches are supposed to believe. And let's listen for the inner voice and let's follow the strategy because whatever comes in the future has to be different from what happened in the past because the past has not been working. As a result of that simple spiritual strategy, we spent a decade focused on building community, which is not easy to do in a highly individualistic society. We um, spent a decade focusing on an expanded understanding of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, spirituality. And it became life to our souls over those years. And it got a little strange, but, you know, it was still life, (laughs) And people would come to our church and say, what kind of church are you? And I knew what they were asking. Like, are you Methodist? Are you Baptist? Are you you this? Are you that? And we would kind of scratch our heads and we would say, well, the best thing we could come up with was this. Well, we're sort of a not doing much, but being together and trying to follow the inner voice kind of church. That's that's what we are. And they say, but are you Methodist? And that went along quite nicely for a while. It went along quite nicely for a long time until two years ago, the inner voice shifted and we received an assignment from the divine. Now, it wasn't words, but if it had been words from God, there would have gone something like this. God speaking would have said, now you have found living this way that there is true life in your souls. And now I have some people in this city that I love and I want you to share the life that you have found with them. And I have assigned them to you, and I don't have a backup plan. The path that I have set before you is uniquely tailored to help their souls, so go find them. Open your doors to them, open your hearts to them. Now, that sounds like it was a person talking and giving an assignment. It really wasn't that way at all, but that's a very helpful shorthand of how we kind of came over the time. And so 
over two years ago, I began to speak to our community about this. And a handful of people heard what I was saying and argued with me. (laughs) And after we finished arguing, we challenged one another, and they began to challenge. And then after we finished challenging, then we began to think about it a bit, and then we began to pray about it, and then we began to seek out that wind of the divine. And after that, a vanguard of people, a small group of people, joined me, and we began to think about how we would change our community. And they became the planning team, and they became the spiritual friends team. And we began to get our community ready for a shift. And so the first thing we did was get right to work being afraid of change. And that took a little bit of time. And then after we had been working on being afraid of change for a little while, we began to get right to work thinking about all the reasons this wasn't a good idea. And then that also took a little while. (laughs) But after we had done those things, finally we began to get ready to get ready to open our doors to and our hearts to the people God has assigned us, getting ready to invite them. Now, a big part of this activity over these last two years was beginning to clarify to ourselves who we had become when we were busy listening carefully and obeying tenaciously. Now, most of us started in pretty conventional churches. We, became, we started as pretty conventional church people. But we'd been doing this listen carefully and obey tenaciously thing long enough that there had been some shifts in our thoughts, some shifts in our beliefs, some shifts in our practices. In many ways, we were still saying the church words, but they had come to mean something radically different in our hearts. For example, all of us had heard the words that God is love. We knew that. Everyone knows that who's been part of the church of Jesus Christ for any time at all. But that reality began to seep so deeply into our beings that it became a core from which everything else began to spring. For example, it began to really open our eyes to a revisited understanding of grace. The idea of grace exploded out of this tidy religious box that we had it in, and God's grace toward our weakness began to be such a pervasive thing that all of a sudden we began to start thinking these radical concepts that sin's just not that big a deal. Grace is far, far bigger, and so we begin to lose sin consciousness as a way of organizing our religion. We took on grace as a form of of our religion. And we begin to say to ourselves and to one another that you are not your sin. Have I gotten too far? There we go. Nope. Back one more. There's the one. Yeah. We begin to say to ourselves and to say to one another, you are not your sin. And so that became a big theme for us. We began to define ourselves as apart from the inevitable weaknesses and failures that were part of our souls. And we began to define one another as apart from the inevitable weaknesses and failures of our souls. Every one of us has some form of wackiness, some form of repetitive failure, some point of weakness that goes on and on and on. And we begin to define one another, not through the lens of that and how much we needed to work on that to make sure we took care of that, but we begin to define ourselves through the reality that the Spirit of God is within you, the very life of God is within you, the very image of God is within you, and grace trumps sin every time. And so, you are not your sin became a very big theme for us. And so, that being the case, it became a safe place to be honest about our failures. And as these simple truths begin to develop within us and deepen within us, it began to revolutionize our religious life. 
And so we begin to wonder, if we got something as central as the love of God wrong and something as central as the grace of God wrong, what else did we get wrong? So many of us begin to return to the contemplative practices of the ancient church. We begin to see the spiritual journey as not getting to some place of being properly in our behavior, being proper in our beliefs, orthodoxy and proper beliefs and orthopraxy, proper behaviors, but instead the spiritual journey became a journey of awareness of what already was, that the Spirit of God was already within us and all we had to do was be awakened to the fact that God's grace is already within us, that God's life is already within us, that God's love is already within us. Everything that we need is already there for the Spirit of God is within us and we just need to be awakened to the baptism of what is already true. And so we begin to say these things like, the central organizing principle of life in God is the baptism of the Spirit of God that is within us. And all the while that this is going on, Authentic community moved from being a nicety to being critical on the spiritual journey. We began to grow in our skills of being communal with one another. Grace made us accepting of one another and allowed us to be honest with one another. And then we began to be trusting, and we began to be trustworthy. We became comfortable forgiving one another for our weaknesses. We learned how to resolve conflict when the inevitable conflicts would come up. And we begin to notice that God was more tolerant of diversity than we had at first thought. And so therefore, we could afford to allow for greater diversity ourselves. People follow Jesus in very different ways. People articulate their experiences of the spiritual journey in very different ways. And people are at differing places on the journey, and that is a wonderful, delightful thing. So we can savor that and appreciate that rather than trying to shoehorn one another into a proper form according to some external standard. Further, we begin to recognize that people are not always victorious over their habitual failures yet, and they can be fully functioning, fully operating members of the community with those weaknesses. Dogma became a whole lot less important. Believing the right thing became a whole lot less important. And in its place, there was a growing sense of how important it is that we connect to the life and to the love of the divine spirit. This became more important as getting our beliefs right became less important. And as we listened carefully and as we obeyed tenaciously, we began to change. And then we began to name the things that were happening to us. And soon, people said, you know, I felt like I was a religious zombie, but I've started to come back to life. For some, it was like being born again, again. And so we began to rethink how we did church. The forms of church began to feel a little bit constricting. Many times, I would talk to Gene about the lyrics of a very wonderful song, and I would say, you know, those lyrics no longer really fit the way we're experiencing God, and we'd go through some tweaking of songs or some even dismissing of some songs. I began to change the religious language that I used in messages, things that I'd been very familiar with uh, having grown up in the church. I began to tweak the language so that it was a more accurate reflection of how we were experiencing God. At the end of the service, we used to raise our hands to God and say, Lord, revive our hearts and awaken our city. And we began to recognize that while God is transcendent and God is out there beyond us, our experience was more accurately reflecting the God within us, the Spirit of God that is imminent, not just transcendent. Our theology tells us that God is both transcendent and imminent, but our experience was focusing on the in- in- imminent. So we begin to put our hands over our heart and extend our hand to our city as a symbol 
of what we were experiencing. And all these little kinds of changes that were going on began unfolding bit by bit over time as we were trying to understand ourselves what had happened to us so that we could explain them to the people that God had assigned us. Then we began to realize that there were some external inconsistencies, some things going on on the outside that were not accurate reflections of what was happening within ourselves. And so we began to work toward our external forms, beginning to reflect the changes that were going on internally. As our souls drifted further and further from where they had started, um, we looked up and said, you know, in many ways, NRCC still looks like a very conventional church, and this made for some confusion. So what would happen is people would come, and based on how we looked and the immediate impressions they would draw as they walked into the door, they would expect one thing, quite naturally. But over time, they would begin to feel betrayed because as they discovered what was going on, it would be a different thing. And so there was an inconsistency between how we looked and acted on the external parts and what was going on inside of us. So this last year, we started making some changes that would help us in that regard. We wanted to communicate consistently this journey, the essence of this journey we had been on. And so as these interchanges have translated in our experience together, they have manifested in external changes, very practical outer changes. The response to these inner nudges to open our doors to people, to uh, offer them to walk this journey that we have found life in, has manifested in some practical realities. And this is kind of the nice part of the report. I'm going to tell, talk to you about, I think, eight or nine things that we have done in 2009, and in the end, we're going to clap for the people who have done them. This is the really encouraging part of the report because, honestly, we got a lot of really cool stuff done in 2008. So, first, getting our facility ready for guests. First, we had to go from slummy to presentable. <laughs> it was looking bad. You had to wade through mud up to your ankles in order just to get in the building. It was, it was pretty, pretty bad. So we started moving from slummy to presentable. But then we had to move from sacred space to public space. And so what happened is I gathered the look and feel team, and I told them with really vague, uh, unintelligible words as I waved hands and talked about this gut feel that I had inside, and I asked them to translate that into something concrete and practical. And what I said was this, if we look like a conventional church, that will be dishonest, because church in many people's minds means the kind of religion from which they came. And that often meant you must be like us to come here. You must act like us in order to come here. You must do what we do in order to come here. You must think what we think in order to come here. And to help you out, here's the list of how you should act and think and be. And I said, that isn't what we're doing. And so if we look like a church, then we're not going to be honest in our communication. So what we want to communicate is this, that if you are on the spiritual journey and if you are drawn to God then you are welcome to be here. So you, we have found that we find God better together than we do alone, so everyone is welcome here. Well, we need a facility that would communicate that, so our communicate needs to look less like a church and more like public space, more like the public library that everybody comes to because everyone knows when they walk into the public library that everyone is welcome at the public library, more like the airport, 
because everyone knows when they walk into the airport that everyone is welcome in the airport. And I used Brugger's as an example. I said, everyone knows when they walk into Brugger's Bagels that everyone is welcome there. It's a public space. And so what we want is our visuals to match our intent. And our intent is to say that everyone who wants to come here is welcome to come here. We need a facility that communicates that you are welcome here even if you're not part of any particular religious sect. And the Look and Feel team is very close to getting that completed. The lights have arrived now. I think we've got Tuesday an electrician coming in to take care of some lighting for us, and they're very close to being finished. And when we were having a meeting, one of these days we were at Caribou Coffee. And I looked around at that place and I said, here, this is a perfect example. Caribou Coffee says, sit down with someone and build a relationship with them, so, with them over a cup of coffee. I said, we, we should be more like that than we should be like, you know, Boston First Church with pews and big cathedral ceilings and that kind of stuff. So <clears throat> the, I, I think the Look and Feel team is, is doing a very good job on this. Todd came to paint the colors that we put on the wall and he says, ah, I see what we're doing. We're painting St. Arbucks. <laughs> this is what we're doing. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so we've got a lot to celebrate about this last year. We put in a parking lot. <laughs> the, the handy guys have done a fantastic job. They started with the children's space, and they moved into the teens' room. They moved to the communication kiosk, and they moved to the lobby, and now they're finishing up moving over here. They've done a fantastic job. Here's the handy guys, and especially, let's just stop right now for Mike and Patrick. No, more than that, more than that. <laughs> These guys have done... A fantastic job. They worked hard in 2008 for us. They got the teen space uh, patched and painted. We have future plans for getting it decorated. The communication got wired. All that stuff was cleaned up and cleared up. That wall was taken out. The outside was landscaped and completed. You all came and did work days to help with that. We've uh, taken care of getting a sign. We've purchased external lighting. Now when you come up here, you can find your way in the dark. Special thanks to Amundsen, who worked on the parking lot. Special thanks to... Yes, he did a fantastic job. Special thanks to the sound guys and the audio guys. They made it work. They made it do very, very well. <clears throat> Facility has gone very well this year. Second thing we worked on was the websites and developing our web presence. This demanded a great deal of thought because we're telling a story, and it's not a conventional story. It's not a story that everybody is familiar with. So we had to do a lot of thinking about who are the people that God has assigned us. And they're people who will resonate with this journey that we have been on. They're people who will resonate with the story that we have found that is our story. So it required a lot of thinking about the, this positioning of what has, what has happened to us but it also required a whole lot of learning about technology because when I first did a web page, I got out front page. I went in there, it's kind of like doing Word, and I published it. Well, that's just not that way anymore. Let me tell you, it, is, it took us a long time to get this, and Michelle especially. You should stop right now. Stand and applaud for Michelle for what she has done. <laughs> and if you have gone and seen our sites and looked closely, they're a little bit intensive, but we had to start there. We just didn't have the resources to move on. Later, we'll move on to uh, animation and video and the use of video, but we just had to start there. The content is stellar. The look is stellar. They have done a fantastic job. Every one of these people up on the, on the wall has just done a great job. Next, we'd be third thing we did this year is we started a breakfast. 
And the thing to do about starting the breakfast was to recognize that eating together is a critical part of what it means to be part of NRCC. Because when you eat together, you form the kinds of relationships that we're looking at. We don't do this in a formalized setting. We don't even do it in a circle with a Bible in our hands doing a Bible study. We do it in these informal settings where we come to the place of sharing our lives and our souls one with another. So critical for that is having a place where we can eat together. Well, we've eaten together in the past. That hasn't been a real problem. You know, this is a little bit obsessive-compulsive, but it really bothers me. (laughs) And this is the time to do it when it's soft. We've, tried, we've eaten together in the past, and that hasn't been a big problem. The problem has been the amount of work and effort it went, went into having a meal. And because there was so much work and effort that went into having a meal, we didn't sustain it over a long period of time. So what these have done, and Robin, Linda, oh, that's a terrible picture of Miami. She's much more beautiful than that. <clears throat> What they have done is they've systematized this breakfast down to the place where you can come two times a year and you can give an hour of your time and we get breakfast out of the deal. It is just a fantastic, uh, well-ordered structure and system, and so they've done a fantastic job of that. The fourth thing we did was that I began to gather a group of people who are good at caring for people's souls. The Spiritual Friends team's focus has been on spiritual caregiving. They pray for you. And when the Holy Spirit nudges, they contact you. And they ask after your souls, and they talk to you when an opportunity presents itself uh, about the well-being of your soul. This is the simple strategy that I have done in giving care to this community. I have your list, and I read through it with certain regularity. And when something prompts my heart, you'll get a call from me. However, I recognize that I wasn't getting to everybody because there's more of us now than there were when we started. And so I asked them to come along and help me with that. Now, as we begin to move forward and invite people in to walk this journey with us, they're going to need help finding their way into the community, finding their way into the experience that we have had. And the spiritual friends are going to play a, play a critical role in helping integrate people and introduce them to us and help them get connected into our community. They'll keep an eye out for visitors, even though that's all of our jobs. When you see a visitor, you are now commissioned by me. It is your job to go make them feel loved and cared for. But they're going to lead the way and introduce them around They will pray for them as well as they pray for you. They will contact them as well as they contact you. And unfortunately, this isn't a real big job for the spiritual friends because they're kind of wired that way to naturally gravitate towards soul care and giving their uh, care to people. Now, these are the people on the wall that I knew in advance. And so I invited them just because I knew them. However, If you were wired for spiritual caregiving, I would love to have you be on the spiritual friends team. Here's the commitment. The commitment is basically we get together once a month for lunch, and we talk about stuff and talk with each other, and we pray for each other. And then over the course of time, you find some people in the community, and you pray for them on a regular basis, and then you contact them and ask after their well-being and their souls. If you'd like to be part of the spiritual friends team, please come talk with me. The fifth thing we did in 2008 was that we integrated quiet and contemplation into our Sunday mornings. Now, we've spoken about the contemplative practices a lot, but we started integrating them into Sunday mornings. You'll remember where you would sit and you would breathe and we'd pay a little quiet in order to, you know, drown out the noise of the children next door. And change is difficult, and so we've been going at it slowly. But now as we move into January, uh, on Wednesdays, we're going to have a a section of classes that will march their way through the year, teaching you the specifics of the practices and then encouraging you to be faithful to the practices. That's something that we also began in 2008. Uh, 
What are we up to? Sixth? Sixth, we begin to refine our financial systems. She is hot. (laughs) Now, we have always been very careful with our community's finances because it is a sacred trust when people give us uh, their tithes and they give us their offerings and they contribute that to us as a community. We cannot waste them. We cannot be foolish with them. And for 12 years, we've tried budgets in the past, but we've always come back to a one-number budget. And the one number was the uh, balance of our account. In other words, if money was available, let's immediately spend it on the community because there were so many demanding needs. We didn't really have the, the luxury of being able to budget for certain aspects. Whatever was most urgent at the moment, we immediately spent that money. Money came in, money immediately went out to strengthen and to care for the well-being of the community. And that was good for a time. But as we began to be more intentional about our listen-obey strategy, we began to find that the Holy Spirit was nudging us and prompting us in some directions. We needed to make plans. We needed to have proper planning in place. So for the last two months, Bob Miglaries uh, took over for Willard, who uh, had been doing that up until that point, and he is helping us refine our systems and get our budgets in place, and Willard is going to move into the role of helping us raise the funds that we need to be on a solid footing, and in a moment, he will give a report. Denise works for him doing the bookkeeping. Uh, There's been talk that as we get the systems in place, Bob's going to transition that over to another person who will take the role of just policing the budget, making sure that we follow it. That really went well in 2008. Planning team. The seventh thing we did is we developed our operational and administrative systems. For a long time, Doug was the operational brains behind NRCC, and that being the case, we were really screwed. (laughs) Challenged would be uh, generous. We were retarded when it came to operations because Doug just isn't wired that way. But the planning team is taking over the operations, and these are the people there. They meet. They set priorities. As a matter of fact, I think they're meeting this afternoon today to get together and talk through the budget for 2009. And so every week, Robin stands up here and she thanks people. Now, what we should do right now is we should stop and thank Robin profusely. So just stop. (laughs) And, And here is why. We have discovered a hidden talent among us. Robin is something of a mystic. She senses God through imagination and through images and through pictures. She dances. I remember her telling me one time about an image that she had as she was in her quietness of dancing with the divine, doing whirlpools across the Atlantic as she danced around the globe with the divine. And so she sees the Spirit of God in nature, and she sees the Spirit of God in silence. She's drawn to the meditative practices. She's something of a mystic. So you wouldn't expect her to be very practical, (laughs) However, what we have discovered of this hidden talent among us is Robin has taken on three major projects to bring us to the completion of these things that get us to uh, the place where we're ready to open our hearts and doors to people. She's, I showed you already, administrated uh, with Mayumi the, the breakfast and with Linda the breakfast, and she's helping finish out the facility. I think the last thing that's left to go is the, the lights. She's doing the helping the look and feel team translate these things. We, the planning team took over the administrating of children and teen ministry, and she took a role uh, in that. That became She became Aaliyah's manager and helped keep those systems in place. And so she has just done a wonderful job for us. Now, a year ago, 
I was thinking about leaving NRCC, and I was sneaking guilty little peeks at websites that would uh, help me know where I could go pastor that wasn't here. (laughs) And the reason is because I was just worn to a nub, and I was trying to fulfill a vision that was burning in my heart, but I was trying to do it with no money. And I was trying to fulfill this vision that was burning in my heart, but I was trying to do it without any people to help. And all the while that I was trying to do that, I was trying to maintain the spiritual uh, well-being of the community and all the meeting with people and counseling and those kinds of things that I do. And all the while that I was trying to do that, I was administrating the work of this community and it was wearing me, wearing me, wearing me. And finally, I got to the place where I wasn't wearing anymore. I was worn. And so I told the planning team, And every one of those people up on the wall there has just done a wonderful job rising to the challenge and getting us on a footing that doesn't include Doug being the administrator of NRCC. And that has just been something that you should thank them for profusely. Things are getting better and better every day. And eighth, we've begun work on finding the people that God has assigned us. Michelle has developed this website, and this is a terrible picture of it. You, you need to go look at it online. She's developed a, a website, nonpracticingchristian.com, and it's a way to let people know about the journey we've been on. It's a way of telling people what we have experienced together, and it's a way of inviting them into a shared journey with us. And that's a tool that you can use that you can feel very good about in terms of when people ask, what kind of church are you? you can explain this is we're, we're people on a journey. And this will describe for you some of the journey that we have been on. This and the, the other one that she spearheaded was NorthRaleighCommunityChurch.com. She's also working on ways of getting the word about these sites out, simple little things like real estate signs that we can put around the church and in the neighborhoods around us so that people can go visit our website and examine who we are. Simple things like little magnets that we can drop on people's mailboxes that are non-intrusive, and she's working on that. And Michael Steerhoff has been working on search engine optimization so that when people go in and do searches that would be relevant to us, it will lead them to our site. We're looking at the potential of using pay-per-click for the kinds of searches that people that will help people find us. So they're at work finding ways to help us find the people that God has assigned us. Now in the new year, Michelle is going to be training us together so that we will know the quest that we together are on. So she will be training you to have your eyes trained for the ones that God has assigned us. Now I have this idea. I have uh, an idea that we can, by January of 2010, a year and a month from now, go from being 120 people on most Sunday mornings to being 240 people on most Sunday mornings. I think there are certainly that many people out there for whom this journey is a shared uh, experience that they will relate to. But I also think that given the preparations that we've been doing this last year, we can integrate that many people into our current structures without losing the life and the vitality that we have experienced together. So this year we've been hard at work We've created space for a particular segment of people to find God, people who could not access Jesus in the way that church currently packages itself. It has been a good year. We've made very good progress. We have deepened community. We have strengthened spirituality. 
We have listened to the nudges of the Holy Spirit and we're about to emerge into a place of influence and you are here. And I am grateful that I don't have to leave NRCC and I am grateful that I'm not alone in doing the work that is set before us. My own experience of the inner voice compels me to move this direction, but I can't tell you how personally gratified I am that I'm not going it alone. Well, this is some of the stuff that has happened at NRCC this year. Uh, next year, you're going to hear about the CityServe team. They've been quietly working under the radar, and their first project is the, the food uh, drive, but you're going to hear about them next year because the bulk of what you'll see above the surface for them will be that. In the meanwhile, Teresa has been, and those who work with our children are doing a fantastic job. Jean has been leading those who do our music, and that's just been plugging away. All in all, it has been a very good year. So I think that we really ought to give a hand to those people who have served us well. So that's where we have been. Now let's talk about where our community is right now. Where we are right now is we have a handful of devoted and committed people who have been serving us very, very well. We have a handful of devoted and committed people who have a strong stake in NRCC. We have a handful of devoted and committed people who are owners of NRCC and who give their time toward the well-being of this community, who give their time toward spirituality and community and influence, and who are working toward the future that is set before us. And this handful give of their time and this handful give of their energy. They invest in the long-term well-being of our children and our teenagers. They concern themselves with the soul development of people who are in our community. They befriend and they are befriended. They know and they are known. And they become the people who serve us and serve us very well. And for a long time, this handful of people has been sufficient. But where we are right now, it's not working anymore. As a matter of fact, in the last few months, we have gotten ourselves into a pinch. Pinched on the one side by the view that we are being called by God to reach beyond our own doors, and pinched on the other side by the norms that we inherited from a society that thinks about organizations the way that it thinks about organizations. Our society thinks about organizations this way. We live in the ubiquitous form of the company or the corporation or the business. And in the business, there is always the president and there is always the uh, chairman and there is always the department manager. There is always someone else and it's their company. And we're used to businesses that are run by owners, companies that are run by presidents, and departments that are run by managers. And so what we always think is that we can defer the ownership of this unit we're part of to the owner. And that's very true of commercial entities. But that way of thinking about spiritual community is death-dealing because it doesn't work that way in spiritual community. We are not like a company. We are not like a corporation. We are not like a business. And when we defer to the few to run the place in the spiritual community, what works very well in the corporation deals death to the spiritual community. 
I often hear people refer to NRCC as your church because in their minds they have constructed NRCC to be a pyramid with me at the top. And so consequently, they think in those terms and they defer to me the role of being the big guy at NRCC. I often hear people refer to NRCC as you guys, speaking of those devoted and committed few. You, the devoted ones, the committed ones, the handful, your church. Now, we live in a society that is not only tainted by that view of organizations, but we've also live in a world that is exploding with options that are available to us. And consequently, because so many options are presented to us now, we, many of us, have become overextended. And one of the best places in the world to get overextended is in the church. And so many of us have been overextended in the church. I was talking to Bob Nagleries the other day, and he said, you know, it's, there's an irony about this in that many of us found ourselves burned out by working for the church, and we came to NRCC, and we were afforded this gracious privilege of being able to say no. We were taught to say no without guilt and without condemnation. We were taught to find our way into our spiritual gifts, and so we started saying no, and it felt good, and we just kept saying no. And now we run the risk of sucking other people into the very burnout that got us in this place the first time because we have opted out and we have said no with impunity. And the irony is that that which drove us there has the potential of perpetuating itself in the next generation so that they themselves can find themselves in the same place of burnout. Because when only a handful of people are committed and devoted to an entity, that handful of people is at risk. If we're going to become the community that I sense God is nudging us to become, it will no longer do for a handful of committed and devoted people to serve NRCC, but that is where we are today. There's a member of our community that gives to the church financially with a different pattern than than many most give on a monthly basis, but this guy gives two to three times a year in very large chunks. And so he called one day because there had been some uh, shift in their family and he wasn't sure exactly where they were financially. So he said, can you tell me how much we've given to, this, to the church this year because I'd like to catch up. And so, you know, I'm motivated. I'm thinking, okay, yes, I'll do that. So I went to Denise, our bookkeeper, and I said, uh, you know, where? And she said, well, that, that computer program's down for right now, but, and I can't get to it till Friday, but if you want to, here's the stack of all the photocopies of all the checks that have come in this year that we do every week and you can look through them and you can find them okay, I love my wife, and so she's also the bookkeeper, so I'll help her with this. So I sat down, and I started going page after page after page looking for this guy's checks as they would come through. And it was a very good experience, and I should do that once a year because what I saw is I went through page after page after page as I saw the same handful of names come up again and again and again, week after week after week after week, just a small handful of of devoted and committed people who are paying the bills at NRCC. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about money, but I'm not really talking about money. I'm talking about a broadened base of people who have a stake in NRCC. For our community to move forward, many, many of us are going to need to own this community the way that I own this community. Not by being at the top of some pyramid, not even by standing and preaching, but a sense that this is my community. This belongs to me. The way that the handful of devoted and committed have owned this community. 
a moment, Bob's going to give our year-end finance report, and I want you to hear him, and he'll be talking about money. But I want you to hear him not talking about money. I want you to hear him talking about a symptom that comes from a larger issue. He's going to say we're tight financially. And, but that's just a symptom of a broader issue, and the broader issue is that we have a very narrow base of people who have a stake in the well-being of NRCC. Now, we will broaden that base, and we will find more to take that stake of ownership in NRCC when we open our doors and our hearts to the people that we're going to invite. Some of them are going to come in, and they're going to be devoted and committed people. But some of those devoted and committed people are already here. So in March, we borrowed, uh, hundred, I think $115,000 is what it came out to in the end. And the planning team asked um, the number of households that we have to each contribute $1,400 additional dollars over the course of three years, and we would pay that off to do the things that we did. And many, many people have been very faithful in following through and doing that, and I thank you for that. However, what has happened is the influx that came into the growth fund was a, exactly mirrored by an outflux of what came into our general fund. So, in other words, all the money that came into the growth fund didn't come in to the general fund. And so, when we give monies to NRCC's general fund, we pay for the things that make spirituality and community happen. We pay for the building that we meet in. We pay for the curriculum that we teach our kids. We pay for Doug's time, and we pay for Aaliyah's time to focus on building the community health. We pay for insurance. We pay for gasoline to get to people. We pay for the food for breakfast for us to eat so that we can form relationships with each other. We pay for a coffee at meetings where we go because we gave up office space at the church for children's space. And just as Bob said, when Willard... Um, was doing the finances, he kept going through the budgets and saying, you know, having been on the board of the nonprofits that he's been on in the past, he said, we are running about as lean as organizations run. There's very little waste here. And there's a simple reason why we haven't had any waste, and that is because there hasn't been enough money to waste. What has happened is as money comes in, money immediately goes out. So we are running pretty much a bare-bones system. But to run that bare-bones system takes about $20,000 every month. And now this works out to be, given the number of adults that we have, this works out to be about $200 for every adult. That's what it takes to run NRCC. It works out to be about $325 for every household. Now most of our expenses, as, as Bob said, are predictable and are fixed, and they cannot be reduced. You can't reduce the mortgage, you can't reduce the heating, you can't reduce the curriculum cost, you can't reduce the ministry expenses. The most flexible thing in our budget is buying people's time. And so, consequently, it's personnel that gives when the pinch is on. And today, we can no longer to afford, we can no longer afford to pay Aaliyah for a full-time week. And so, we've asked her to go to part-time week for our children and for our teens. I spoke with Aaliyah this week, and together we saw that the way that she is developing uh, uh, and growing, part-time will not be a good fit for her. So... She is beyond the place where a part-time job is a good role for her. So we will be losing Aaliyah in about three months. So the next most flexible thing after Aaliyah's time is Doug's time. And we may approach the time when we need a part-time lead pastor. And given my own life and my own growth and my own family responsibilities, that also would not be a good fit for me either. 
Now, some of you follow the ancient practice of the tithe. You challenge your fear and you challenge your selfishness by giving 10% of your income. And for most people, that's more than the minimum that it takes to run the church of $200 a month. That means that there is some wiggle room for others of us to pay nothing. But there's not much wiggle room. We've been well under the wiggle room threshold for several months now. Now, if we wish to maintain the health and the well-being of our community, we have to spread the giving over more people. We can't go through page after page after page and see the same handful of names again and again and again. Now, it's not unusual for us to come to December with a deficit. People who do their giving at year's end in order to make place for their taxes tend to do so in December and make up the deficit that we bring. Now, usually that comes in the form of stock. But this year, with the stock market being 50% off its highs, that will not be the case. Now, our current deficit would have been wiped out by a typical December, but this will not be a typical December. Nor will the coming year be a typical year. And if we are to remain a healthy community, we will need to spread the base of community ownership over more people. So, I want you to hear the message here. I'm talking about money, but money's not the point. It's about how wide a base of people it is that have a stake in NRCC. It can no longer be a handful of committed and devoted people. It can't be that way for our kids' sake. It can't be that way for our spiritual health's sake. It can't be that way for our finances' stake. 2008 was a great year, but at most you saw 25 people's pictures up on the wall. And now we need to broaden the base of people who have an ownership of NRCC. Now, when we started the breakfast, you'll notice that we didn't ask for volunteers. This was Robin's brainchild. Instead, what we did is we assigned everyone two Sundays a year. Everybody in our community takes a turn serving the breakfast. Now, some of why we did that was because we needed to staff the breakfast. But more of why we did that is because we need to make a cultural shift. Creating an NRCC in which all of us contribute to our well-being is critical to our future. It's important that people spend time together. It's, that's why we do the breakfast. It's important that people get to know one another. That's why we do the breakfast. It's important to create space for conversations to happen so that people can develop trust and affection with each other because that's what lays the groundwork for spiritual friendship and that's the fountainhead of spirituality as we understand it. So it's important for us to do the breakfast. So all of us need to contribute to that essential element of the well-being of our community. So we assigned everyone to get out of bed early two times every year and come and serve the breakfast. But honestly, how difficult is it to get out of bed early two times every year and come serve a breakfast? That's really just a symbolic contribution. We all need to be contributing to the well-being of this place for this place to be financially healthy, spiritually healthy, relationally healthy. We all have to contribute our gifts to some element of what makes community work. That's the difference between being a company, being someone who offers good and services, coming to church as a consumer, walking into an entity that provides a service. That's the difference between that whole framework of thinking and coming to be a tribe, coming to be a clan of people, coming to be an extended family who are knitted one to another. So, 
Here's where we are today. We're a community for whom a handful of devoted and committed people have taken a stake and are serving us well. And we are a community that's being pinched by a narrow base of people who have a stake and an ownership. We're people who are being pinched by a narrow base of people who feel that this is theirs, belongs to them. So that's where we are today. Finally, I want to talk about where we're going. Patrick, can you make it uh, go? It's not going now. Pardon? No, it's not. By the majority of the community. Now, in 2009, there will still be room for a few of us to have a free ride, but there won't be room for many of us to have a free ride. I'd like to reserve that for the people who are just coming in and are framed in their, in their understanding of reality in a place that hasn't yet grown yet. So we need to all think of ourselves as owners and contributors. In the coming year, it will be my objective and it will be the planning team's objective to shift our culture so that by the time we come into 2010... Oh, great. By the time that we come to 2010, the majority of us will have a stake here. The majority of us will think and act like this place belongs to us. The majority of us will have found a way to contribute something of ourselves to the well-being of the whole. The majority of us will help pay the family's bills. The majority of us will see the trash cans down by the curb and will bring them up because we own this place. The majority of us will walk into the bathroom and see something that is messy and will tidy it up because this place belongs to us. The majority of us will feel like NRCC is ours and it belongs to us and will take some little corner of the community's health and that will be where we make our contribution. The majority of us will come to the breakfast in order to meet someone and befriend someone rather than to just come and eat. The majority of us will come and hear songs and stories because it's important for us to know what's going on in the lives of the people who will tell their stories. And it will come and contribute their stories during the community hour so that we know what's going on in one another's lives and souls. The majority of us will find a place to encourage and be encouraged, to uplift and be uplifted, to know and be known. So that's the purpose of the the intention of the planning team and of myself for 2009. So how are we going to do this? In 2009, you're going to be invited to participate in something that has not been our practice in the past. We're going to invite you to become a member of North Raleigh Community Church because a member owns the community. A member contributes to the health of the community. A member contributes to the well-being of the community. So after the new year, you're going to be invited to one of a series of desserts where we are going to explain to you what it means to belong. Willard is going to be helping me with that. And we're going to explain to you what it takes to be an owner, to have a stake in the community. We will show you places you can contribute, places you could get involved. As a matter of fact, you don't have to wait. You can go right now to our website, nrccfamily.org, and you can click on the Get Involved tab. And you can see 15 or 20 places right now where you could click, and it will send you an email to the appropriate planning team member who will help you find your way into contributing and being involved. We're going to ask you to help pay for the, the community's family bills. And when it comes to giving, you're not going to have to start with 10%, though the ancients understood the power of that number for our souls. But we are going to ask you to consider an automatic draft. The reason that we come to December each year 
is with a deficit is that with only one exception over the many years that we've been here, summertime driving, giving drops, usually by 30 or 40 percent. And so consequently, here's, not, well, here's what I'm thinking. I'm not thinking people don't get paid in the summer, <laughs> but we don't. <laughs> And we don't make that up when we get to September, October, November, and we usually make it up in December. What an automatic draft would do was allow us to stay even and not come to the end of the year with that deficit. So you'll be asked to, con- be asked to consider auto-draft giving. Now, we've spoken to the bank, and it's a common thing that many com- spiritual communities use, many churches use, and so they have systems set in place to make it very easy. You can start it with something as easy as a phone call and stop it with something as easy as a phone call. But this is how we're going to ask you to help participate in paying the family bills. Now, we've got <clears throat> a way to go before the majority of the people in our community own the community. I'll give you one small example. Geese, when they fly and migrate, put one bird out in the front and form a V behind them so that the wind is broken for those behind. And it's much easier, I think a 40% reduction in effort for those who are behind, but much harder for the one at the front. And so what geese do is the ones behind take up a chorus. You hear it when they go by. They're honking a point we have to imagine and speculate and project that they're encouraging that guy that's up in the front. And that is an important way that community works. Several months ago, before we knew that we were going to have to ask Aaliyah to go to part-time, I sent out an email to 100 adults in our community, and I asked you to encourage Aaliyah. And I told you some of the things that I had seen observing in her. I didn't even know that we were going to have to get to this place. I had just watched her mature and develop, and I realized that she had really hit her stride in ministry, and I wanted us as a community to acknowledge that. She got one email out of the 100 adults that uh, received that email, and she got one passing comment on a Sunday. So two responses, 100 invitations. That's not owning the community. We need to be behind one another, honking be behind one another, encouraging. I know exactly what happened. First of all, email is a tough way of communicating because you get inundated with lots and lots of emails every day. But here's what else happens is somebody else will do that. Somebody else will write that email. Somebody who knows more than I do. Somebody who's actually got a kid in the department. Somebody who's seen something better. Somebody else will do that. And we defer it because that's what we've been trained to do by being part of these organizations that are so ubiquitous in our lives. And so what I'm telling you is that all of us can find a place. All of us can find a point of contribution. All of us can do this. Now, just as an aside that has nothing to do with what I'm saying this morning, we're going to lose Leah in three months. But as she goes, we need to send her off with the acknowledgement of what a fantastic job she has done. When she came here, she was a little bit of a knucklehead. (laughs) But she is a listener, and she is a learner, and she's not a knucklehead anymore. She's really good at what she does. She has really invested well in your children and in your youth. She's done a fantastic job. And fortunately, she's going to help us administrate what comes next. She's going to meet with Robin and I. And so as she goes, I want to say again, do something to encourage Aaliyah. Do something to support and honk for Aaliyah. So that having been said, that's where we're going in 2009. We are going to extend the base of ownership of NRCC to many of us. We're going to be working to become a place where the majority of us are stakeholders in the well-being of the community. We're going to invest ourselves, all of us, in community 
and in spirituality and in influence. I want you to remember this has been a good year. This has been a very good year. 2008 was a very, very good year. And I want to celebrate the things that we accomplished. But we also have to realize that the very successes that we had in 2007 and in 2008 have now created a new reality. And what we have to do now is adapt to that reality. There wasn't a pressure to go through the kind of change that we're going to go through in 2009, two years ago, because we hadn't done 2007 yet, and we hadn't done 2008 yet. But now we have, and the world has shifted. So for us to do well in 2009 is going to require something different than what was required in 2008, and it's because we had such a stellar success in 2008. So I'm going to invite you to take your place in being a stakeholder in NRCC in the coming year. Be it so among us. Amen.